On April 29th, an inmate already serving 75 years for a slew of violent crimes walked out of an Alabama correctional facility to freedom while still wearing shackles. The inmate, 38-year-old Casey White, was awaiting trial for capital murder charges, crimes he confessed to. Shortly before 9 a.m., the assistant director of corrections at the facility, 56-year-old Vicki White, told colleagues that she was taking Casey to the county courthouse for a mental health evaluation. Vicki also stated that after Casey's appointment, she then had a doctor's appointment herself. Surveillance footage showed Vicky escorting Casey into a patrol vehicle at 9.41 a.m. Two hours later, a police officer spotted Vicky's patrol vehicle, parked in a lot among vehicles listed for sale. At that time, no one knew the two were missing. Hours passed, and it wasn't until 3.30 p.m. that officers realized that they couldn't get a hold of Vicky, and Casey White was not in his cell. A jail employee reported that White had not returned and that they could not reach her, despite numerous attempts. Within two hours, 20 local investigators were searching the area and reviewing surveillance footage. Vicky's abandoned patrol vehicle was searched. It had been cleared out. The following morning, Alabama issued a blue alert. This alert is activated when a violent attack on an officer has occurred and the suspect is still at large. The FBI and U.S. Marshals began assisting on the search. The Lauderdale County Sheriff's Office stated that Vicki White is in danger and that she was an exemplary employee before she traveled alone with a dangerous inmate. Vicki White broke protocol by escorting an inmate like Casey White alone, who's 6 feet 9 inches tall, 250 pounds, and admitted to stabbing a woman to death. Theories about the shocking escape swirled. Did Casey threaten Vicky and take her hostage? Or was Vicky in on it? Had she been planning this escape with Casey all along? A bread trail revealed their likely intentions. First, let's take a look at the criminal history of Casey White and why his escape threatens the lives of anyone he may run into, especially his surviving victims. It started unofficially in 2008, with the death of Christy Lynn Shelton. On February 1st of that year, Christy was shot in the chest with a sawed-off shotgun in her Lexington home. At the time, she was dating Casey White. He was there when the shooting occurred, and police questioned him. But eventually, he was ruled out as a suspect, and Christy's death was ruled as a suicide. Her family never believed it. I'm going to circle back to Christy's death later on. Flash forward two years, to 2010. On September 25th of that year, Casey beat his brother in the face with the handle of an axe. He was charged with second-degree assault and sentenced in 2012 to six years in prison. After serving three years, eight months, he was released in 2015, but he wouldn't be out for long. On October 23rd, 58-year-old Connie Ridgway was found brutally murdered in her Lauderdale County apartment. The case went cold for years, until Casey White would ultimately be connected and charged. We'll come back to this case later on as well. A month later, on December 1st of 2015, Casey would go on a violent crime spree across two states. 
that was supposed to land him in prison for the rest of his life. Around 10.15 that night, Casey broke into his ex-girlfriend's Alabama home, armed with two handguns. He shot at her numerous times, while she fled out the back door. Her children were in the basement at the time and were left unharmed. Two of her male roommates escaped through a bathroom window. As Casey ran out the front door, he turned back and fired his gun, killing the family's dog. The two roommates managed to call police after running to a neighbor's home. A second call to 911 came over an hour later, two miles away. Casey had broken into a man's home and demanded money. When he said he didn't have any, Casey stole his Ford Explorer. 30 minutes later, he resurfaced at a welcome center, 20 miles north, in Giles County, Tennessee. He attempted to carjack an 18-wheeler. Casey jumped into the vehicle with a gun in each hand, telling the victim, You're going to drive me. The victim retreated into the semi's sleeper compartment and barricaded himself in. Casey then ran across the parking lot to another vehicle, where a woman was sitting inside. He demanded that she open her door, but she refused. Casey shot into the vehicle, striking her once in the arm. Luckily, she survived her injuries, and Casey fled once again. He drove another 20 miles north and arrived at a pilot station in Cornersville. At 12.30 a.m., he robbed a man at gunpoint and stole his 2012 Lincoln MKZ, ditching the Ford Explorer. For reasons unknown, Casey returned to the county he had originally fled from, where he was spotted by limestone officers. A chase ensued, with Casey reaching speeds of 100 miles per hour on Interstate 31. Eventually, he drove into a field south of Huntsville, where his car became stuck. As officers approached the vehicle, Casey got out with a gun pointed to his head, threatening to take his life, and demanding to speak with the sheriff. At some point during the chase, Casey fired shots at police, but in the end, was talked into peacefully surrendering by the sheriff. Flash forward again four years, White was found guilty of nine total charges, including the attempted murder of his ex-girlfriend, two kidnapping charges of her roommates, first-degree robbery and burglary, breaking and entering a vehicle, third-degree burglary, animal cruelty, and attempting to elude. For all of these charges, he was sentenced to 75 years in prison. A police report documented that Casey's only regret was being unsuccessful in killing his ex-girlfriend and having police ultimately take his life. He said if he were ever released, he would attempt to kill her again. While Casey was awaiting trial for his crime spree, his half-brother Stephen, whom he had assaulted in 2010, mysteriously vanished. Stephen was last seen at his home sometime in October of 2017. The following day, his wife reported him missing. A canine search of the property yielded nothing. The next month, a dive team search found nothing as well. In May of 2019, a little over a month into his long sentence, White filed an appeal to overturn his conviction and asked for a new trial. The appeal was rejected the following month. A year later, Casey wrote a letter to the former Limestone County Sheriff saying he had information that could solve a cold case murder. 
the sheriff immediately went to the prison to conduct an interview. There, Casey White confessed to killing Connie Ridgway, claiming he was paid to do it. And according to police, White had information about the murder that only investigators knew, which further solidified his guilt. The confession came as a surprise to authorities, with Casey's possible motive being a transfer. Apparently, he'd been stabbed in two separate incidents at the prison and was desperate to be moved. Ultimately, he got his wish, plus two charges of capital murder. White was transferred from Donaldson Correctional Facility to Lauderdale County Detention Center that year. There, he met Correctional Officer Vicki White, where they apparently developed a special relationship. Casey was arraigned on murder charges in October and transported back to Donaldson Prison a month later. This transfer came after jail employees learned that Casey had obtained a shank and was planning to escape the facility. Despite the move, he and Vicky kept in contact over the phone. In March of 2021, Casey is brought back to Lauderdale to undergo a mental health evaluation ordered by his defense team. He wasn't supposed to stay long, but due to the testing and contracting COVID-19, White was there for roughly four months. Although Casey had confessed to the murder of Connie Ridgway, in court he pleaded not guilty due to reason of insanity. He returned to the Donaldson prison in August, only to come back to Lauderdale once and for all in February of 2022. This transfer was granted by a judge following a request from his attorneys. The prison wouldn't allow them to enter with a hard drive, which they needed to review his case. So they requested that he move back to Lauderdale, where security is a little more relaxed. The request was granted, and Casey's trial was postponed to June 13th of this year. Now that you know Casey White's extensive, violent record, we can take a look at his new partner in crime, Vicki White. Before falling in love with an alleged murderer, Vicki was married to a man named Tommy White. I've seen reports stating that they're still married and that they're just separated, but Vicky still uses his last name. Their relationship only lasted four years. They separated 16 years ago, after Tommy struggled with substance use. According to Tommy's mother, he and Vicky remained close, up until his death in January of this year from Parkinson's disease. Unknown to anyone at the time, Vicky White had been developing a special interest in one of her inmates. Casey received special treatment, according to other inmates, like special favors and extra food on his tray. And somewhere along the way, this relationship between Vicky and Casey became intense. There's also the factor that if convicted of the murder charges, Casey White could face the death penalty. Time was ticking. His trial was months away. It's assumed that Vicky didn't break Casey out of jail on impulse. This was months, potentially years, in the making. On April 18th, 11 days before the breakout, Vicky sold her home for $95,000. This was well below market value price, almost as if she sold it in a hurry. She moved into her mother's house and purchased a 2007 orange Ford Edge, in cash and with an alias. Two days after Vicky's house sold, Casey's trial was officially postponed to June 13th. I'm not sure if it's possible, maybe it is, 
that the defense team could have informed him prior to the new date being accepted. That same week, Vicky purchased an array of weapons, including two shotguns and an AR-15. It's believed she also has access to a 9mm handgun and could possibly have a 45 caliber handgun as well. Ten days later, Vicky filed her retirement papers, writing that the following day, April 29th, would be her last day. Vicky had worked for Lauderdale County for nearly 17 years. Her record was exceptional. Her family, colleagues, and community was shocked at the escape. And that brings us back to April 29th, the day it all unfolded. Shortly after 9.41 a.m., Vicky drove four miles to Florence Square Shopping Center. The courthouse was just a half a mile away, and the appointment for Casey White never truly existed. There, she and Casey hopped into her orange Ford Edge she'd parked there the day prior. Surveillance footage later revealed that Vicky had stayed in a hotel nearby the parking lot the previous night. Several news channels have stated that according to reports, she may have purchased some items from a couple outlets, such as large-sized men's clothing, and possibly even paid a visit to an adult store as well. However, when journalists questioned the store employees, they were told that they couldn't comment on the case. By 10 a.m., Vicki White had abandoned her patrol vehicle, leaving behind handcuffs, a police radio, and the car's keys. The couple had a five-hour start on officials realizing that Casey White was missing. Two days later, on May 1st, the U.S. Marshals Service announced a $10,000 reward for information leading to Casey White's capture. A warrant for Vicki White's arrest is issued the following day for permitting or facilitating escape in the first degree. Two days after that, a $5,000 reward is offered for her capture. On May 6th, it was announced that the getaway vehicle had been found, abandoned in Bethesda, Tennessee. Well, it was identified on the night of the 5th. However, the vehicle had actually been towed on April 29th at 2.20 p.m., an hour before officials knew of Casey's escape. A company had towed the car to their lot from a rural road. The car had no plates, and they hadn't attempted to hide the car at all. There also appeared to be an attempted paint job. Under the left taillight and on the right back side of the car were trails of green spray paint. When it was found, the car was locked and nothing was inside. Some investigators have theorized that they may have experienced car trouble unexpectedly, leading them to ditch it quickly and only briefly attempt to disguise it. The towing company only realized the connection between the vehicle and the escaped inmate a week after they'd found it. If Casey and Vicky had left Lauderdale County by 10 a.m. and drove straight to Bethesda, they would have arrived in roughly two hours, around noon. That leaves an estimated two and a half hours between the time they arrived and the time they ditched the car. Now, investigators are back to square one. They don't have a vehicle of interest or any idea which direction the couple may have gone. Vicky had taken out cash and used an alias to purchase the 2017 Ford. She could have done the same for the next vehicle. Vicky reportedly has at least $90,000 in cash, numerous deadly weapons, and a violent inmate at her side that's nearly seven feet tall. This is a short interview featuring Vicki White's mother. 
Vicki has not received any of her retirement money. And new tonight and only on Way 31, Vicki's mother's desperate plea for her daughter to come home safe. Nicole Zedek joins us live now in studio after speaking with Vicki's mother today. So, Nicole, how is she processing all this? How is she doing right now? Brittany, she's definitely in complete shock, saying that everyone who knows her daughter, Vicki, says this just doesn't make sense. She's scared for her daughter's safety right now and says even if she did help inmate White escape, she should turn herself in and get back before anyone gets hurt. As a mother, I didn't know what, I didn't know how to act because I, you know, I thought at first it was a mistake. And then when I found out for sure it was, I, it was just a d disbelief. Complete shock. That's how Vicki White's mother, Pat Davis, describes what's been going through her head ever since her daughter disappeared with accused murderer Casey White Friday morning. I lay in there at night and it, you can't get it off your mind. And then when you wake up, if you do fall asleep, that's the first thing that you think of. You know, if you've got a kid and she's out there, it's just like, you know, she's in danger. According to Davis, Vicki had been living with her for the past five weeks, ever since she sold her house. Davis says her daughter didn't speak about work often, never bringing up retirement and never mentioning inmate White in conversation. You know, I never heard of him, never seen his picture, nothing. I didn't know anything about him. It's still unclear what role Vicki played in helping inmate White escape the Lauderdale County Detention Center. We don't know if she was took by force or if she was voluntarily in this. But we just want her back. That's all we want. She doesn't think her daughter would ever help an inmate escape. She's never done any. I doubt she's ever even had a speeding ticket. But, I mean, she's always been, what I'd say, a good person. And, like I say, this is all a shock. All she wants now is to reunite with her daughter, no matter what. We want her home. On the morning of May 9th, Way 13, a North Alabama news station published an article titled, Indiana authorities investigating vehicle possibly linked to Casey White, Vicki White, escape. This article was written by Matt Kroschel. It reads, Way 13 has learned U.S. Marshals and law enforcement in Evansville, Indiana, are working Monday morning to determine if a vehicle discovered there is part of the Casey White and Vicki White search. They believe it is connected to the escape of Casey White and Vicki White, and that it may be a vehicle reported stolen from the area in Tennessee where the Ford Edge they left Florence in was found, according to a law enforcement official in Evansville and the U.S. Marshals Service. The vehicle was reported stolen after the Edge was found abandoned in Tennessee on April 29th, just hours after Casey White and Vicki White left the Lauderdale County Detention Center. End quote. And before I circle back into the murders linked to Casey that haven't been fully fleshed out, this is an interview between the Daily Mail and someone who knew Casey White very well. It really begs the question, if Casey White is caught, is he going to let them take him alive? Robert McBay knew him in and out of prison. They ran the same circles. And this is what he had to say regarding the investigation and Casey White. Um, kind of just chasing breadcrumbs. The media hasn't released a whole lot of information. Um, I grew up in Limestone County, Alabama. I'm very familiar with Casey White. I've met him outside in the public quite a few times. Um, I spent quite a bit of time incarcerated in the same unit as him in Limestone County Jail. And I've got, let's just say, probably more people than I can list on my hands that know him personally or are related to him. 
in my immediate circle of people that I deal with every day. So we understand what the dude's capable of. He is very dangerous. He has no regard whatsoever for human life. He is very elusive. He can move very quickly for a man of his size, very quietly for a man of his size. I can verify that his reading and writing skills aren't that great. Um, I remember him having kind of like a jail lawyer type of thing in Limestone County that would read all of his paperwork for him, write him letters, write his letters home. Um, when we were incarcerated together at Limestone County Correctional Facility in Limestone County, Alabama, there was a point where he got racked down. Um, something had happened between him and two other inmates, and one of the inmates got attacked pretty violently. Um, he came out of the room, blood all over his face, busted nose, teeth bleeding. I mean, just, they, they beat the crap out of that guy. And they ended up going to rack down him and another guy named Jason Rose, uh, who also has a very troubled history with law enforcement. When they put him in rack down, they left him in uh, the dorm that we were in, and I believe that we were in D7, in pod D7. And they racked him down on the bottom floor. When you say racked him down, what does that mean? So uh, when you go to lockdown, so GP, general population inmates, they have a large day room with many cells in them, usually 12 or 24, and they can freely walk around and access any part of that day room when you get on rack down that's a disciplinary procedure that's when they take you and put you in the cell they lock you in there you're not allowed out but for one hour a day for exercise and showers and the rest of the time you, you stay in there you don't get any visitations you can't buy anything off commissary or the store you can't access vending machines or food items so it's probably like one of the worst things we call it going to jail in jail um, so when they racked him down within 24 hours his behavior erratically shifted um, he became very aggressive kind of jerking beating on the door trying to get it to open threatening um, corrections officers as they came through and at some point I, I remember they they took him and placed him on suicide watch and took him out of the pod he we have a intercom system inside that jail in every cell where they can access the control room and talk to COs or deputies at any time and if I remember correctly, he pushed that button and told them if he didn't, they didn't let him out, he was going to kill himself. And so they came in, you know, they took all the stuff, bed sheets, everything. They put him in a, like a Velcro canvas suit and took him out of the dorm. And that was the last that I saw of Casey White at that correctional facility. And it was not long after that that he did his 2015 crime spree where he killed that, um, that dog. and held those two, two men hostage and tried to kill his ex-girlfriend. From a local standpoint, and I've had to elude police before I grew up, I'm covered in tattoos, so you know what I'm saying, I've been to jail, I've done the thing, lived that life, turned it around, and now I want to see this guy brought to justice. So anything that I could do personally to help, I'm going to come out here and do. We've been out all day kind of looking for clues, trying to find the spray paint can. Um, we've had drones up. We've been to Anderson Park in Anderson, Alabama. Next weekend, we're scheduled to go to Natahala Reserve, the wildlife refuge. It's expansive, it's huge, that's where everybody goes. He knows of that place, so it's probably on their list. And I honestly believe, regardless of what law enforcement is involved, if they make it to Natahala, it'll be a year before we find them out there. He definitely has survival skills he can live out here he could walk right off this road into those woods and be okay um, especially with the woman that he has with him and her knowledge of law enforcement and how it works they they could disappear very very easily and this could be one of those things where you're sitting at home in 15 years watching unsolved mysteries and be like those are my neighbors now we're going to circle back to everything we know about the two murders casey white is allegedly involved in but hasn't been convicted of. 
The first is the alleged suicide of his ex-girlfriend in 2008, Christy Lynn Shelton. With news of Casey's escape, her daughter posted this video on TikTok, which went viral and was shared across all social media platforms and even on the news. So that was a trimmed down version of Christie's daughter's video, simply because the audio was all over the place, and I don't think it would be bearable to listen to on this format. However, please go watch the full video on her TikTok, I will link it in the description below. There's not a ton of details about Christie's death available to the public, because police ruled it a suicide, not a crime. But we do know that Casey White was with her the night she died and that her family doesn't believe police's theory. When Christie's daughter learned that Casey had confessed to the 2015 murder of Connie Ridgway, she contacted authorities in 2020. They have since reopened the case. Because this happened so long ago, and police probably didn't keep evidence from an alleged suicide, the closure of this case may fully rely on Casey White. In the murder of Connie Ridgway, the case went cold for five years. She was found deceased on October 23, 2015, in her Rogersville apartment. She had been stabbed. On September 1, 2020, a grand jury in Lauderdale County charged Casey Cole White with two counts of capital murder, murder during a first-degree burglary, and murder for pecuniary gain. Three months prior to this, Casey wrote a letter to the lead investigator at the sheriff's department, Brad Potts. Casey confessed to the crime, and gave details about the scene not made available to the public. He also claimed that he was hired to kill Connie Ridgway. What doesn't add up about Casey's claim is the motive. Her family has no idea who would want Connie dead. CNN reported that two months before Connie's murder, she was also struggling financially. Her second husband passed in 2003, and he didn't have life insurance. Her sons even offered her gas money to ease financial stress. If someone hired Casey to kill Connie Ridgway, then who and why? When the charges against him came in 2020, Connie's son told CNN that Casey White was a familiar name. Apparently, investigators interviewed him early on in the investigation, but he denied involvement. Connie's sons felt a weight lifted off their shoulders, finally knowing who took their mother's life. But then came a plea of not guilty by reason of insanity, 
the confession being retracted, and news of White's escape. One of Connie's sons talked about the fear of this case never going through a trial and never getting the closure they've been waiting for. Quote, If this doesn't end well, we're not going to get that, which is incredibly disappointing. We've struggled for years and years with the cold case. We got him. We had him. We thought we had him. He escaped. You kind of learn life is what it is. There are only so many things that you can control. In conclusion, he said, quote, You're miserable for a long time. Going through the cold case, you don't know how miserable you are. He confesses, and it's much lighter for some reason. Wow, I didn't realize how miserable I was. I'm sure she'd be glad and happy that we're pursuing justice as hard as we can. But I think for her, she would want us to not be miserable. So that kind of gets me through it. Being in total doubt for so long, it's like, well, I hope they can catch the guy, but if they don't, I don't want him to be a public threat. End quote. This is an interview between Connie's son, Austin Williams, and News Nation from May 8th. The fact that a dangerous fugitive could be anywhere right now is alarming for all of us, but it is especially haunting for one family in particular. Casey White has been charged with killing a woman named Connie Ridgway on October 23rd, 2015. Police found the mother stabbed to death in her living room. Investigators called it a murder for hire, and Casey would later confess to the crime five years later. He now faces the death penalty. Austin Williams is Connie Ridgway's son, and he is joining us live tonight. Austin, thank you so much for giving us some of your time. And first of all, I'm very, very sorry about your mom and that you have to go through this with Casey on the run. Oh, thank you. Do you believe that Casey will come after you? Are you afraid? I don't believe I'm, I'm a target, but I am a, I'm afraid that uh, he's a very dangerous person. What went through your mind when you got the news that he had escaped? I don't even really know what was going through her mind. It was just so, so shocking. I know it took me a while just to, just to comprehend it. It was just it's so, 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 so shocking. Tell me what you know. Tell me what you know about, about Casey. I know he has a very, very violent history. I, I know he's been in jail several times. And he's been very violent. I know he's uh, attacked his brother and his ex-girlfriend. And it's just a very, uh, very violent history. Austin, what were the circumstances around your mom's death? Was it random? What more can you share? Well, it, it is the only thing I could think of. It could, it could possibly be uh, be random. It's just that she's just in the wrong place at the wrong time. She's such a gentle, sweet, uh, you know, Southern Christian lady. There's just who in the world could have anything against her? And she was killed in her home. Yes, that's correct. How long after your mom was murdered did they find Casey and and tie him? To her death, it wasn't until he confessed. We you know we really had no idea for about about five years. Did you know Austin about his plans to escape that he wanted so desperately out, and that it required extra security because he had threatened to escape? No, I, I didn't know that. I would imagine that he would have extra security because he he tried to escape, you know, the first time he was in in Lardell County for his arraignment. I, I, Are you in touch with authorities as they search for him? Have they been in communication with you? Yeah, they're very good at communicating. I'm aware of a kind of high level what's going on. Well, we obviously know what he is capable of, so I won't even, I won't even ask you that. But for you, um, all these years later, what does justice look like for your family? 
Well, justice looks like him having the chance to, to go to trial and to have everything decided in, in the court, in the court of law, whether or not he's innocent or guilty. I, I believe he is very likely guilty, but I, I would not want an innocent person to be punished for something they didn't do. So I, I really do want to go to trial and, and to go to court. And we don't want an innocent person, another one, to die um, as he is still out there. Austin Williams, again, thank you for talking to us. And um, my thoughts are with you and your family as you go through um, the hardship of knowing that he's out there and accused of what he did to your mom. Yeah, thank you. It means a whole lot. I appreciate that. So I started working on this episode a few days ago and obviously had no idea that on the night I was editing it, Vicki White and Casey White's journey would come to an end. It started with a man named James Stinson in Evansville, Indiana. He's the manager of a car wash in town. On May 3rd, he noticed a truck sitting in one of the bays. It was unusual, especially when on the following day it was still there. James immediately knew that something was up. He went up to the truck, which was empty, and was able to open the door. The keys were still inside. He called the non-emergency number and got an officer to check it out. The officer found a gun lock under the seat, but no gun. He said that there was nothing he could do, because the truck hadn't been reported stolen. James immediately had it towed. Four days later, on Mother's Day, James reviewed the security camera at the car wash. He saw a very tall man with a familiar tattoo one he'd seen all over the news. James knew Casey and Vicki White were on the run, and now he was sure that at least one of them had been sleeping at the car wash. He called local authorities, but they didn't take him seriously. Eventually, the U.S. Marshals made contact with him and told him that they were sending people in, but by that point, James had more information. He had seen Vicki White with his own eyes, pick up Casey in a separate car, a charcoal Cadillac. The couple was still in town. U.S. Marshals didn't arrive until Monday morning. It was then that the media caught wind of the truck. Images of it and the man believed to be Casey White were published, but couldn't be confirmed. As soon as U.S. Marshals arrived, they tracked Casey and Vicky to a hotel. The couple spotted authorities and fled before they could be arrested. In their Cadillac, the fugitives led authorities on a high-speed chase. It ended with a crash, while Vicki White was behind the wheel. The Lauderdale Sheriff stated that Casey was behind the wheel, but this conflicts with the local sheriff in Evansville, as well as numerous media outlets. And the Lauderdale Sheriff has gotten some things wrong in the past. So after the crash, police surrounded them, and Casey White surrendered without a fight. He suffered minor injuries. Officers found Vicki White bleeding from a self-inflicted gunshot wound. Her condition was only known as serious until a little over an hour later. At 7.44 p.m. Central Time, it was announced officially that Vicki White had died. She reportedly shot herself right before the crash. Now that Vicki's passed, the only side of the story we'll get is Casey White's which is bound to be tangled with lies. He's been caught, but this case isn't over. The families of Christy Lynn Shelton and Connie Ridgway are still waiting for proper justice. Thank you all so much for listening to this episode, and if you like this podcast 
and you want to support it for free, please tap those five little stars on Spotify and or iTunes. It really helps. Thank you. And don't forget to tune in next Tuesday for another episode. I hope you have a good morning, evening, or night. Goodbye.